Hey, welcome back to the Schoolhouse Shoutout, specifically part two of a three-part series on leading healthy schools, a principal's primer to using the whole school, whole community, whole child framework. Uh, this little episode will include um, deep dives into health education, parent and family engagement, physical environment, social and emotional climate, and physical education and physical activity. Uh, so we're going to start with health education. Um, it's clearly within the scope of educational leadership, uh, specifically instructional leadership, which is one of the largest responsibilities for a building principal. The principal as instructional leader also has a responsibility to meet regularly, evaluate budgets um, with those in roles of instructional leadership, such as your department heads, your informal leaders, um, really to uh, ensure fidelity to instructional goals, whether that's those laid out by the district in state standards or followed by the National Health Education Standards. Um, one of the goals of Healthy People 2030 is to increase the proportion of students requiring proportion of schools requiring students uh, to take at least two health education courses from grades 6 to 12. So it appears that the uh, Department of Health and Human Services at the federal level really sees the importance of health education. Uh, prior to getting too into depth here, uh, if the health education at your school isn't inclusive of all students, specifically to include those who identify as LGBTQ+, uh, those with mental health struggles, the neurodivergent, um, or students from different uh, racial or cultural backgrounds, among others, then your program is insufficient and it's really failing to uh, serve the students um, that identify with those identities, uh, but also anyone that's going to interact with those students in the future. Um, so there's a number of things that you should look for in a uh, health education program. Um, it should be planned, sequential, developmentally appropriate, and culturally inclusive learning experience taught by qualified, trained teachers. And the National Health Education Standards actually include eight standards as follows. One, students will comprehend concepts relating to health promotion and disease prevention to enhance health. Two, students will analyze the influence of family, peers, culture, media, technology, and other factors on health behaviors. Students will demonstrate the ability to access valid information, products, and services to enhance health. Students will demonstrate the ability to use interpersonal communication skills to enhance health and avoid or reduce health risks. Students will demonstrate the ability to use decision-making skills to enhance health. Uh, students will demonstrate the ability to use goal-setting skills to enhance health. Uh, seven, students will demonstrate the ability to practice health-enhancing behaviors and avoid or reduce health risks. And lastly, number eight, students will demonstrate the ability to advocate for personal, family, and community health. You'll notice that these are incredibly aspirational and they're largely focused on skills rather than facts as a major focus. The ability to do things to be healthy rather than knowing what it means to be healthy. Uh, we know that it's a struggle to devote the necessary time, especially in light of high stakes testing. Um, a study, according to Salas et al., uh, devoting this additional time to health or physical education uh, does not appear to have detrimental effects in spite of the time devoted um, and the opportunity cost of devoting time to things like math or ELA. Um, curriculum should recognize the role of media in health perceptions. Um, so as you're analyzing curriculum or in analyzing instruction, um, if media is not a core component, um, 
then it's probably failing to serve students as well as it possibly could be. Um, curriculum should also offer some sort of flexibility and choice to improve fidelity of implementation. It can't be re too rigid, in other words. So based on a study by Eisman et al. from 2020, um, using a curriculum such as the Michigan Model for Health, um, it has to have some sort of flexibility. So regardless of the curriculum your district uses, you need to ensure it has some element of flexibility and choice for your teachers to really implement it well. Um, also, shout out to Michigan Model for Health. This is a curriculum you don't need to be from Michigan to have, and I'll leave a link to more information in the um, video description. So across the socio-ecological landscape, it's important to make cultural considerations across different scales. So the socio-ecological model, which I'll show right here, uh, takes into account complex interplay between the individual, uh, interpersonal levels, organizational levels, community levels, and policy levels. So at the individual level, we need to be cognizant of the knowledge of staff, um, also a certain level of cultural humility um, in being able to uh, be curious and, and learn more about different cultures to better serve students. At the interpersonal level, you have to consider your method of communication with students and families um, about health education, and then inclusion of these parties in the planning and implementation of health promotion programs programs. At the organizational level, you should be sure that your materials are reflective of your population. Um, and also, you want them to generally be at uh, a fifth grade leading level. This is best practice um, in health education, not because you think that, uh, you know, your population isn't good readers. Um, you gotta, like, even heuristically, you think, okay, if I'm going to skim something or if I want to consume something quickly, that's the level that you want it to be at, right? That's a that's a uh, good marker for accessibility. At the community level, look for partnership opportunities with other youth-facing organizations or people focused on health education. And lastly, at the policy level, you want to assess current policies impact and then involve all stakeholders in any sort of improvement of efforts. For parent and family engagement, students' first teachers are their parents. Um, and so it's really crucial that we have that understanding and appreciation. Um, a quote from Rudo and Dimock says that there's dem demonstrable connection between family engagement, school improvement, and student outcomes. Schools and districts should focus not only on family engagement, but also on establishing strong partnerships and relationships with families and communities. Uh, we know that students with engaged parents are less likely to smoke tobacco, become pregnant, be physically inactive, or uh, drink alcohol. So uh, it's so important, in fact, in uh, youth health interventions that sometimes parent engagement is even used as a proxy uh, for fidelity of program implementation. Um, it's that level of crucial. So there's specific strategies that will engage families, and these are laid out in Joyce Epstein's School Family and Community Partnerships, Preparing Educators and Improving Schools from 2018. Um, first, provide parenting support. This is going to look different based on the school in which you work um, because the parents of students in a K-2 school will differ from the needs of parents in a, uh, in a high school. Um, second, you've got to communicate with your parents um, these communications should be culturally appropriate and should, at the very least, uh, be translated to the native language of your parents. Uh, third, uh, diverse volunteer opportunities should be offered, should be available. Consider your, uh, the strengths of parents and think beyond the bake sale. Um, fourth, find ways to support at-home learning, whether that be through um, 
things that are considered additional or extra, or whether that be through, uh, you know, like we had to do throughout the coronavirus pandemic. And then lastly, encourage parents to engage in decision-making opportunities in schools. Uh, parents should have a legitimate voice and not just those who speak up. Um, and schools really have a duty to ensure that they seek out the voices of those who have historically gone unheard or in some places, um, you know, those voices have even been stifled. Um, in culturally responsive school leadership, Dr. Muhammad Khalifa provides some do's and don'ts uh, regarding community engagement and regarding family engagement. So he suggests to not colonize parents and to accepting school-centric views through training. In fact, it's probably helpful that you have some views that aren't school-centric um, as you work to work with the community. Um, don't suppress the sharing of parent perspectives by limiting parents and families to specific meetings organized by the school um, with agendas set by the school, right? There's got to be open flow of communication. Uh, don't rely on the voices of parents and community members that are already engaged with the school. Uh, rather, seek out the voices that you don't readily hear from every time. Um, that doesn't mean don't listen to the voices that are always there, um, but don't listen to only those voices. Um, and then don't make assumptions about minoritized communities based solely on your experiences um, and recognize that no group is a monolith. Uh, Dr. Muhammad also provides some recommendations on what you should do uh, when engaging parents, um, including include community members and how the school's organized, managed, reformed, and evaluated. Uh, structure policies to ensure educators can go out into the community and learn from residents. Use the knowledge of individuals to resist racism and other forms of oppression. As you start out on your anti-racist or your DEI work or you continue it, uh, recognize that many members of the community have been doing that for years. Um, use parents and build curricula and teaching methods to learn culturally responsive means of student behavior responses. And lastly, use the voice of indigenous elders, parents, and anyone who carries ancestral knowledge to contribute to the educational process. As far as the sociological model goes, considerations to be made at the individual scale uh, include the knowledge and cultural humility of staff as it relates to uh, parent and family engagement. Um, at the interpersonal level, look for opportunities to better engage parents and families. At the organizational level, you must have systems built in to the way that you operate uh, to make this happen. At the community level, seek collaborative partnerships with family-oriented organizations. And at the policy level, look at how policies either support or inhibit the ability of families to engage, um, and then work with families to improve those practices. Physical environment. People are well aware of uh, how the environment in which learning takes place may have an impact on uh, hindering or um, positively benefiting learning. Students learn deserve to learn an environment in which they have a reasonable level of perceived safety, um, protection from extreme temperatures, free from excessive noise, and with upstanding hygiene. That is the minimum standard, right? Now, with physical environment, I'm not going to talk about uh, infrastructure or emergency management, as those are entirely um, or incredibly context-dependent, um, and also infrastructures often without or uh, beyond the influence of a um, uh, principal's work um, unless there's some sort of, um, you know, major construction occurring. 
Okay. Um, so we know that comparing the substandard uh, school conditions with standard school conditions, we can see a gap of between 5 to 17% uh, in test scores. Okay. Uh, specific conditions associated with poor achievement are poor science facilities, lack of air conditioning, poor locker conditions, damaged classroom furniture, increased graffiti, and excess noise. Um, and students are completely aware of these conditions, um, and it affects how they perceive the school. Um, in Jonathan Kozold's Savage Inequalities, a fifth grade student named Tunisia said, uh, it's like the school's dirty. There isn't any playground. There's a hole in the wall behind the principal's desk. What we need to do is first rebuild the school. Another color. Build a playground. Plant a lot of flowers. Paint the classrooms. Blue and white. Fix the hole in the principal's office. Buy doors for the toilet stalls in the girls' bathroom. Fix the ceiling in this room. Make it a beautiful, clean building. Make it pretty. The way I feel it, it is, I feel ashamed. Okay. So, uh, one effort towards improving the physical environment and the physical spaces in which students work um, are flexible learning spaces. These have been tied to improved movement behavior, improved student learning, um, increased teacher flexibility to, to manipulate the classroom to better uh, serve the goals of a lesson, uh, better serve students with special needs. It's been tied to decreased disruptive behavior, uh, better facilitates collaboration and community within a classroom, decreases musculoskeletal risks in the back and neck. So um, some good things for health, some good things for learning, which makes sense as we know those are intertwined. Um, how students perceive the environment even is huge. Um, so not just the environment itself, but how students perceive it. Uh, it influences identification with the school, it influences school participation, um, and actually has been tied to the use of self-regulation strategies. Um, temperature is another huge thing. An increase of one degree Fahrenheit over the course of a year is correlated to a 1% um, reduction in student learning. Okay, so uh, that's pretty huge. At the individual level, uh, staff knowledge of environmental impacts is huge. Uh, the way uh, learning actually occurs in the classroom um, in the environment within the classroom is very, very important. At the interpersonal level, um, involve families in the efforts to improve. Um, so as you seek to redesign spaces to make them more conducive to learning, get the input of families and community members. Um, at the organizational level, make sure you've got uh, rigid systems in place uh, to actually involve families um, so that it's not just a one-off thing. At the organizational level, I already talked about, so I'm going to have to skip out this part again. At the community level, uh, look for opportunities to partner to improve, uh, such as working with city planning uh, to ensure that there's safe trips to school, um, that there are means of slowing down traffic outside of a uh, um, outside of the school zone, things like that. Um, at the policy level, assess policies regarding biological, physical, and chemical threats and gain community input in the establishment of improved policies. Again, this episode is brought to you by uh, the School Hall Shoutout Store. Uh, while fictional, I've got some pretty killer merch in there um, that you might be interested in. First, we've got this original shirt. Let's talk about comprehensive and inclusive sex education. Baby, a play on words from the popular song. Um, next, we've got this shirt that says, Let's Make Schools Healthy, um, with a fun little star on it. You can't actually buy these. They don't exist. I made them as a joke.
A social and emotional climate. This one's a bit of a long one, and I wrote it really well, so I'm going to be reading a bit more verbatim than I probably should. Um, so, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention divide social and emotional climate as the psychosocial aspects of students' ed educational experience that influence their social and emotional development. Uh, so, the social and emotional climate's been tied to many health and educational outcomes. When the social and emotional climate's positive, it leads to higher level of school connectedness. This has been described by Bosch as uh, the, about interpersonal relationships, both with uh, school staff. Um, and others, it is the extent to which students perceive that adults in the school community care about them as students and as individuals. To do this, schools must explicitly communicate that all members of the school community are integral to the school's well-being. All cultures are celebrated. Staff want students to have a healthy and enjoyable school experience. Students are expected to have academic success, and staff will do whatever necessary to make that possible and that overall we care. Now, a positive climate's been associated with higher academic achievement in middle and high school. It can be used as an intervention to support school-based interventions uh, relating to academia. It also delays substance use initiation, which can be used as an intervention to support school health promotion. Um, it allows teachers to be more effective. Um, instructional effectiveness and test score growth uh, is uh, greater when uh, the climate has an academic focus, teachers feel more empowered, and students feel healthy, safe, and supported. Uh, one component with great influence on school on social and emotional climate are the systems of student discipline within the school. Uh, too often, discipline is one of the last things considered when working through any sort of school reform, and um, regressive practices really continue to plague uh, the health and education of the students uh, that we try to serve. Healthy People 2030 has indicators related to discipline, um, aiming to reduce the proportion of, of children and adolescents who are suspended or expelled. Um, now, Dr. Khalifa and culturally responsive school leadership said it's important that educators see their actions towards minoritized students can quite literally impact the life trajectories of those students. It's alarming that educators' treatment of a black male student, for example, can influence whether or not he ends up in prison. Uh, educational neuroscientist Lord Sautels uh, claims that our current systems work for students who not need it and does not serve the students whose behaviors need discipline but not punishment. Uh, DeSottles calls for relational discipline aligned with our knowledge of how the brain works to embrace the knowledge and understanding that discipline is an expression of compassionate presence, warm demanding, and guidance without coercion. To do this, schools must cultivate what's known as critical wellness. Uh, to do so, educators must develop a healthy understanding of historical, political, and economic structures that have a profound impact on students' ability to learn. Um, this awareness is absolutely crucial. Otherwise, educators are more likely to fail to recognize how racism works, how it manifests in larger systems, and how it prevents specific groups of students from succeeding in the classroom and beyond. Um, for example, educators with a colorblind approach are less apt to be aware of disproportionate representation in courses on different academic tracks, such as AP, IB, or CTE enrollment, um, including, according to uh, Dr. Milner. Um, educational environments have long served white students better than black students and males better than females. Uh, thus, young black women have often been served worst by educational institutions, often resulting in what's known as a push-out um, that can lead towards inappropriate relationships, criminality, and dropping out of school.
Um, six themes emerged from Dr. Morris's book, Push Out, um, with suggestions for cultivating healthy learning environments for black girls. Uh, first, protect girls from uh, victimization and violence in schools. Um, second, have proactive discussions in schools about healthy, intimate relationships. Third, um, have strong student-teacher relationships. Um, fourth, have school-based wraparound services. Um, fifth, have an increased focus on student learning coupled with reduced emphasis on discipline and surveillance. Um, and sixth, have consistent uh, school credit recovery processes between alternative schools and traditional student in traditional district, um, which is especially crucial if uh, you have court-involved youth um, in your school system. Just as with student achievement, school leadership should be assessing school climate with both quantitative and qualitative means. Uh, there's verified tools available for school climate evaluation to provide the quantitative data on school climate, um, and that can then be disaggregated to ensure different student groups are receiving equitable experiences. Um, you may also consider doing things like focus focus groups with students to explore the phenomena that might be um, displayed as a result of, uh, of the quantitative data you collect. Uh, cultural considerations at the individual level include the education among school personnel. Um, and so that can also include things like cultural humility training. Um, at the interpersonal level, consider the participation of students in the development and implementation of healthy social and emotional promoting activities. Um, they, they're the ones that can determine better than anything whether or not they're going to participate in something. Uh, at the organizational level, continually gra gather input about the learning environment from students and families. Um, at the community level, consider partnerships with community organizations to promote a healthy social and emotional environment. At the policy level, assess policies that either promote or detract from healthy social and emotional environment and engage families and the community in the assessing, development, implementation, and evaluation of school policy. Uh, that helps to encourage a healthy social and emotional learning environment. Our last one in um, this video is going to be physical education and physical activity. Physical education refers to the planned and sequential course of study through K-12 to include learning experiences in a variety of areas uh, designed to allow students to gain the skills and knowledge necessary for lifelong participation in physical activity. Physical activity, on the other hand, is any type of body movement that requires expender of of energy. The relationship between, between the two can then be conceptualized as physical education is about learning about physical activity. Um, Healthy People 2030 lists increase the proportion of adolescents who participate in do daily school physical education as one of its goals. Um, and some things to know are there's a strong connection between nutrition and adequate physical activity and academic achievement. Even five four-minute breaks are a feasible dose for third through fifth grade students um, to break up the day for classroom-based physical activity. And uh, Dr. Leo Day describes this as an opportunity to address inequities relating to physical activity for disadvantaged populations, so long as the program includes goal setting, parental involvement, and self-control um, actually being integrated into the program. Um, Birch and Video uh, lists some recommendations for high-quality physical education. Uh, one is highly qualified teachers, whatever that means in your state. Um, a comprehensive sequential and standards-based curriculum. If you'd like to do an analysis of your state's curriculum, I would encourage 
encourage you to use the PCAT, the Physical Education Curriculum Analysis Tool. Um, should have a healthy and safe environment for physical education, so a space where that can actually occur. Uh, quality facilities to promote learning, student participation, and safety. Uh, safe materials and equipment. Um, appropriate time allocation for instruction. Um, and then formative and authentic assessment of student learning. And lastly, there should be annual program evaluation uh, to ensure students are being equitably served uh, by the program. Uh, there's a shift throughout the lifespan of what appropriate uh, physical education looks like during preschool and elementary school that uh, should focus on developing motor skills, engaging in physical activity, uh, developing some sort of physical competence, um, offering voice and maximizing fun and minimizing anxiety. Uh, for ages 10 through 14, that emphasis should shift towards individual and group activities, uh, being active with friends, having fun, uh, sharing times with adults who are seen as positive physical activity role models, uh, engaging in leisure time physical activity, uh, and improving self-esteem. For older adults, so age uh, uh, sorry, for older adolescents age 15 to 18, the focus should shift towards physical activity transitions to adulthood, such as health and fitness behaviors that can be carried into adulthood. Um, alternatively, physical activity is all about being active um, in a far less structured environment. Um, opportunities for school-based physical activity includes uh, classroom activity breaks, incorporating physical activity into more traditional academic sessions, offering sports, um, offering physical activity clubs, and offering recess. Um, you should probably ask yourself, do students have equitable access to all of these? And then what barriers are preventing students from engaging in these different physical activity opportunities? And how can you as a building leader work to ameliorate those sorts of inequities? Um, as a school leader, don't cut recess. Don't do it. Um, if you're tempted to, stop it and don't. Um, strongly discourage classroom teachers from taking away recess as a punitive measure. Children absolutely need this time. Some socioecological considerations that should be made through here. Um, at the individual scale, um, teachers should be aware of the necessity of physical activity and physical education. Um, at the interpersonal scale, consider how you're communicating with parents and whether or not you're actually engaging students in your uh, efforts. At the organizational level, uh, look at how to better incorporate physical activity in all things that occur throughout your organization. At the community level, look for opportunities to partner with other community orgs that also try to get kids moving. Um, and then at the policy level, look at what supports or inhibits physical activity education or physical activity within your school and then work with all stakeholders to improve that. Uh, that concludes part two of the three-part series on leading healthy schools. Thanks for watching. Let's make schools healthy.